0: my my, one of my favorites obviously I named my son after him if you know the little blonde guy running around here Uh, but uh, he says nothing whatever whether great or small can happen to a believer without God's ordering or permission I've seen that a lot lately in my life and I hope it's an encouragement for you before we pray today Uh, on January 7th my mom went to be with with Jesus And uh, great is thy faithfulness is what we sang as she passed into eternity and I did not know we were singing that this morning uh, and uh, it's, it's amazing uh, but obviously it's hard and uh, I hadn't thought about it in a week um, and so last, the last two Sundays I've been in Indiana and I think by God's providence I was able to be there right before she passed away and able to go back up Uh, Drive 18 hours (laughs) through a snowstorm uh, To be back there for the funeral And uh, In God's providence uh, I just I give thanks for that And I also just want to thank everybody uh, Many of you that prayed for my family Took care of my wife while I was gone And just did wonderful things Um, Thank you for that Um, In addition In God's providence I was not here as I said The last two Sundays including last Sunday And I know that there are times that are difficult in the life of a church. There are dark days sometimes in the life of a church that we we have to go to together. And I know last Sunday was, was difficult from everything I have been told. And so I'm sitting and as I'm preparing this week, I was just reminded that there's another Sunday coming. We're here. This is where we're supposed to be. Let's take joy in that. Let's come together in that. Let's... Let's remember that God's mercies are new each day for each of us that know him And uh, let's 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 be where we're supposed to be which is in God's word and that's the third Providence of God that really was hard for me this week is uh, We're gonna go through first Thessalonians and we're moving from chapter one to chapter two and It's tough when there are difficult weeks in the life of a church to get up and preach about a church it's tough to walk into this next passage i did not pick this passage i was asked to speak this sunday and asked to take the next passage and so i will because we believe that god works through that. but uh, if i if i'd have probably had my choice we'd have been in psalm 121 today or something like that but um i just say that because it was really humbling for me And I preach it to myself this morning, and I hope it's an encouragement to you and that you can understand that and that the Holy Spirit will work in this room. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that your promises are true and they're new and that we can enjoy them that we can come before you with confidence because we are forgiven in a risen Savior. May we find that in your word this morning. May you bless our time. Please help us. Please give me words that are encouragement and true. Throw away words that are unhelpful. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, the day after uh, my mom died, I was up in Indiana, and uh, there's a lot to do. You don't even, I didn't even realize that You're planning a funeral and within hours of her passing, and you're trying to figure out how family's going to come in. I had to get back on an airplane, get back to Florida, so I could turn around and drive back up to Indiana, and I'm realizing I need to get home. And so I quickly, you know, grab my phone, and I reserve a hotel room, a Hilton, right next to the airport in Indianapolis. And I say goodbye to my brother and sister, and then I head off to Indy. And uh, as i'm driving i'm getting a phone call and i'm like, oh, man, there's so much going on There's so many distractions You you know, there's people that are calling you that never call you like oh, I guess I should answer it And as I answer it, I hear this voice at the other end of the phone. It's this really nice Voice this nice man and he says hello, bob I just I want to let you know that congratulations you Have been awarded because of your loyalty to hilton and your recent reservation, I am offering you a free four-day, three-night vacation in lovely Orlando or Las Vegas. And then without seemingly taking a breath, the man just started asking me questions like, where do you like to vacation, the mountains or the beach? Uh, how many kids do you have? What do they like to do? Do they like the pool? Do they like to go to Disney? What do you, you know, and all these things to where I'm finally just like cluing in as I'm driving and I politely... Interrupted and said, "Thank you for your phone call. I'm not interested. Have a nice day." Kling hung up. I had not won anything. I was not special. That was not real. He did not care for my kids or whether or not they liked the swimming pool. That was a telemarketer. Anybody get frustrated by telemarketers? All right, we can all agree on that. Do they make you kind of feel grimy? sometimes frustrated, sometimes hoodwinked. You know they're not authentic. You know they're not real. You know they're selling something. Hopefully the guy is going to make commission, I guess. Well, that phone call in that moment has some relevancy for what we're about to understand in in 1 Thessalonians as you turn to chapter 2 this morning. Because what's happening is after a whole first chapter of Paul encouraging all the wonderful Amazing things that little church is doing in Thessalonica. He now has to turn his attention to some of the problem because there's people in that church and there's people in that area of Thessalonica that are saying, Paul's not real. Paul's trying to take advantage of you. Paul's being greedy. Paul is, in essence, an ancient form of a telemarketer. And that's what he's having to address. And he's trying to do that because he knows what matters is that this little church who's doing so well by God's grace that they would stand firm, that they would walk worthy, that they would do well because the conflict was already there and it was only going to get worse for them and they needed to know that they could trust that there was reality, that it was authentic. And so he's addressing that, if you, if you look. I want to give you context, too, where we've been. I'm so thankful for Pastor Jose. But as Paul and Silas and Timothy visited, as we just read, um, they were only there for three weeks. Two things were happening. Number one, conflict with angry Jewish leaders. Started in Philippi. They were in prison, got out, went to Thessalonica, and getting chased, drug out in the street, Jason. And then they even get followed to where they're going next. That's happening the whole time. It is chaos in that church while they're receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ And secondly, the gospel was preached and people believed And I don't mean just some people there as you read there were jews. There were were greeks There were prominent women. These are groups that aren't supposed to get along But their lives were changed because the gospel worked It was real and so that's happening as we see that and and as Jose reminded us, we see that this church already is, is doing doing well. So after he's left there in Corinth, he's writing this letter back to them. He's like, Your faith has led to good works, as Jose said. Like, your faith has fruit. That's awesome. Be encouraged. He says that you've been motivated by God to be a, have a steadfast hope. Please hang on to that, he tells them. And then obviously that the, the preaching, God's word, the gospel. It came in word, it came in power, it came through the Holy Spirit, and it led to conviction in their life. But this is a possible breaking of that. This could hurt that. This could discourage that, and he's got to address it. And so please read with me in verse 1 of chapter 2. For you yourselves, brothers, know that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know— We had boldness in our God to declare to you a gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please men, but to please God, who tests our heart. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or with pretext of greed, God is witness nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Although we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous for you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brother, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you. While we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you. And charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Well the title of of my sermon today. And I think the outline that will follow is really. Paul's defense. Paul's defense of God's work in Thessalonica. Paul's defense of God's work in Thessalonica. And and he builds kind of three pieces of key evidence or three truths that he wants the church to know that lets them know, as you see in verse 1, it wasn't vain when I came to you. It was real. It was authentic. You can trust it. And the first thing where he appeals in the greatest sense is his reason for coming was righteous. Righteous. Paul's reason for going and preaching to the Thessalonian church was righteous. It was pure. Well, what was his reason for going? Pretty simple. The gospel of Jesus Christ. If we go back and look at Acts 17, we see this good news that he appealed to them. He says, He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. You see, Paul and Silas preached that the promises of God are true. They preached that you can find in Scripture what these promises are. And they were made. And they were made to believers. And they were fulfilled when Christ came as a baby, as the Messiah, as Emmanuel, as God with us. And he lived fully man and fully God. And he lived a perfect life, and he had to suffer. He had to suffer in a life in which there was nothing that would draw us to him. He had to suffer in his life in being tempted to the fullest sense. And he had to ultimately suffer by dying a death on the cross. A death where he took our sin A death where he took the sin of those in Thessalonica. And he did it willingly for the glory of God and the love he had for me and you and the Thessalonian church. And he died. And he died and he was dead and he was buried. And the the substitute, the sacrifice, his death in our place, it worked. It satisfied every wrath of God towards our sin that know him. And he... He rose from the grave, and he's alive. That's what they preached. That actual message was everything Paul wanted this church to know. And that is everything we need to know today. That is everything. Friends, the promises of God are real. We're sinners. We are sinners. It is evident. It is January, and we've sinned a bunch this year. And we need a substitute. We need a Savior who would sacrifice, who would suffer in our place, who would die a death that is the only means that forgiveness of sins can occur is a perfect sacrifice, and we have it. We have it in a real Messiah. His name was Jesus Christ, and it worked, and he's alive today. I hope that encourages you. I needed that this week. I hope you need it today. I hope it makes you in your heart say, "Uh, whatever's happening in my life, amen, I have hope. Whatever wrong I've done, amen, I can be forgiven. May that encourage all of us today. Well, because he was so wrapped in what was a pure message that was what Christ had done, that the Messiah was real, you see also here in verse 2 that that gave Paul boldness in the message, that he came with a true message and he was ready to to speak it. It says in verse 2, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. It was rough. In fact, if I'd have been in prison and there was an earthquake And got out because and i'm being persecuted. I probably could have used the four days and three nights at a hilton to be honest with you But paul goes straight to thessalonica I love what burkett says of this passage related to the boldness of paul The apostle calls his boldness a boldness in god because of boldness for god and from god. It was not barely a fruit of natural courage But it was a zealous boldness in the cause of God, and it proved to be convincing, as well as a courageous boldness. It is one necessary prerequisite and qualification in the ministers of God, in order to the rendering of their ministry fruitful and successful, that a wise, humble, zealous, and convincing boldness be found with them in their delivering the truths of God unto their people. He says, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. I love that thought. I needed that thought this week. Paul was coming, and he was coming with everything in him. Zeal. Passion. Central most passion in his life. Because he believed in God. Verse 2. That they spoke a message, a gospel from God that they had been entrusted with. That their work was for God. It wasn't to please men. It was for God. And that they were ultimately, their approval would be, and they would be judged for their message by God. He, to do that, he had to believe that the gospel was real and that God was real. And it was, it is for us to read today, Everything that should drive us, everything that should compel us, everything that we center the rest of our lives around, and everything that should inform how we make sense of what we're doing right here today, and what we do when we live our lives in Boynton Beach or in Palm Beach County. Finally, because Paul's reason for coming was the gospel, which made him bold, Paul could now offer this message just freely just with boldness but also just brothers, sisters the Messiah is real his name is Jesus he sacrificed and he's alive know that look in verse 3 he says I did not come from error or uncleanness or deceit Paul was pure his message was pure verse 6 no demands were made he did not say I'm an apostle Uh, please feed me please provide me a hotel please pay me money In some sense, I guess he could have done that. But he didn't because he wanted the focus to be on what they would hear. He had the words of life and he wanted them to have it. Verse 9. He did not want to be a burden. So he worked hard so that the people would be drawn to the importance of his message. Well, friends, just as of new week, it's another Sunday. We're together again. Let's be reminded of how good this gospel is. Amen? It's... It should be our everything. It should inform our hearts, our words, our actions. Our faith in God through Christ should draw us to God, to hear from God how to live for God, knowing that our lives will ultimately be judged by God. And that should not give us something to fear if you're a Christian this morning. We're free to live this message and to give this message in every aspect of our lives. Because it's the most joy and the most glory God's going to get and we're going to have a fulfilled life Now we see that that's his main point My reason for coming was righteous But now he moves on and he also says not because it's righteous because it's real I can also tell you that my relationship with you is real his relationship with the church at Thessalonica was real, number two. We see Paul's relationship was real in this text first by what he, what he didn't do, what he, what he made sure he was careful of. And just to be helpful, I just want to read them. There's six of them that I found. Maybe you'll find more. But if you start in verse 3, he says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Number two. So we speak not to please men, but to please God. Verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know. Also, verse 5. Nor with a pretext for greed. Verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people whether from you or others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. And finally, verse 9. We work day and night. I guess it says night and day. That we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel. Paul's saying, I am not a telemarketer. And you can trust that because I did not come to you with greed I did not come with to you with a lie. I did not come to you to gain something from you. In fact, I made sure I didn't do any of that because I wanted you to hear, I wanted you to know, I wanted you to have Jesus. And so he limited what he would not do. Well, friends, that was a challenge for me this week. And I asked myself and I ask you, are you tempted to live lives... And a message that for Sue in our relationships is is it filled with sin and deceit? Are you trying to please people? Maybe that's an easier thing to say. You're trying to please people more than God. I know it's hard for, for me too, but do you flatter so that you'll be liked? Do you want to cover things like greed for money or power or influence? It's easy to want those things. Are you looking for your own glory? The world tells us we should be. Is it all about you? Is it all about me? Does your relationship with other people actually burden them? Do they walk away from being with you and think, oh man, that Bob guy. He didn't ask for money, but that was a difficult conversation. Or is it an encouragement? (laughs) As Christians, Paul is saying, our lives and message must be pure. Friends, if that's hurting you this morning to think about those questions, own that. Own it, but don't stay there this morning. Don't just stay in the despair of, you're right, Bob, I'm greedy. You're right, Bob, I like to be liked. You're right, Bob, I'm in it for my own glory. Don't stay there go quickly back to why Paul came to the Thessalonians. He came with the gospel. As Jerry Bridges says, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Take what you're doing that you shouldn't be doing and stop doing it because you're forgiven and loved by a Savior. And in addition, I love what John Newton says. Don't look at yourself. Don't just get caught up in what you're doing wrong for every one look at yourself take ten looks at Jesus well I I appreciate what Paul says there it was challenging for me this week on what not to do but I actually really appreciated even more what he says he did do for this church I see two things quickly he sacrificed and he served for them if you just look at the text you'll know what we read in Acts 17 he sacrificed, he suffered. You know, Acts 17 says, prison in Philippi, harassed all the way out into the streets. Jason had to pay, all, you know, pay a, a, a fee, and then he had to flee in the night in Thessalonians. And the whole time he's preaching conflict, and guess what? The Jewish leaders find out where he went, and they chase him to the next city. I have not experienced that in my life, but that is some serious suffering. And yet, it didn't matter, because he loved God and he loved them. We also see in verse 2 that the conflict's like all around them. And then finally, we see in verse 9 that he labored day and night. And and it's easy to read, well, he labored day and night on his his sermon, I guess. And I I imagine he probably did. But he labored day and night as a tent maker, we call it. He wasn't making tents like REI so you could go camp out in Corbett. These were like actual for structures back in those days. He was likely working leather which would hold tents together, and he would make enough of those and sell them so that he could not have to be a burden on anybody else. So he sacrificed with his fingers, with his hands, with his work, with his sleep, while being in conflict and and persecution. So he did that not to make himself have some penance or to have glory. He did it because he was free to love them because he knew the gospel and he wanted them to know it. But he also just did something else, just comes through this passage. John Piper calls it sharing his soul. That was was heavy. That was deep for me to think about this week. He didn't just share a message. Here's how you become a Christian. Walk out the back door. He shared his entire life with them. I want to read what what Piper says that convicted him From this passage and I can tell you it, It really convicts me Today and I hope it encourages And helps you He says What this text has done for Me and I hope it Does this for you Is to say over and over again Year after year Don't ever think John Piper Don't ever think Bob Lutz Don't ever think, First Boynton, that you can live a hidden, isolated, or unaccountable life, that you can share your message and not yourself. Be authentic. Be real. Be what you are. Hide nothing. No posing. No posturing. No affectation or pretense. Share with your people not only the gospel, but your own soul. God will be the final judge of this, but I commend Myself to every man and conscious. I have nothing to hide from you. Wow, that's that's so good and so hard. But it's what we need. So I ask myself, am I so moved by what God has done that I let myself to be so moved to love the people in this room, the people in Boynton Beach, the people at work? am I stirred up in a way because it's real it's my soul <sighs> do I just give the gospel message but don't share my life boy let's work on that what what a great thing for Thessalon the, Thess- the Thessalonians the Thessalonians to be and what a great thing for the Boyntonians to be right Let's be that this week. Well, because of Paul's defense, his reason for coming was righteous and his relationship was real, Paul rested his defense that his coming was in vain or inauthentic by pointing to the results of God's work in the lives of the Thessalonians. The results are revealed in their lives. Let me give you a story that I I think Kind of helped me think about this week Uh, Think about this this week Uh, I am a graduate of the Ohio State University Sorry Gator fans or the blue team Uh, When I was a student I was blessed to have season tickets for five years I think I went to like 30 30 games Um, It goes from hot to cold real fast up there and uh, it's amazing if you've ever been to a football game in Columbus on a Saturday. It is 106,000 people screaming, cheering, and having a great time. Uh, but I'll tell you, if you're a season ticket holder, uh, you you could uh, actually go to five games, and every two years, sell the sixth game, which is the most important game. It's actually called the game. They play this team from up north. They play this blue team from the mitten state that I will not utter from this stage. (laughs) And that ticket alone, you could sell and not only make all your money back for your season tickets, you probably double or triple your money. And people do that. In fact, lots of people do that. They sell tickets. In fact, that ticket is so much in demand that people go to like Kinko's and make fake tickets. And they try to hawk them on StubHub. They try to hawk them at the streets. And so there's just chaos going around with this game Against this evil team (laughs) And I knew I could have made probably $400 a piece for my two tickets But I was going to that game I wanted to be at that game and cheer for the Buckeyes But guess what happened before COVID But I got really sick and I could not go I knew Friday came Friday morning I woke up I'm like oh man I have a fever I got a cough I, 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 How can I stand in 20 degree weather For six hours And so I, I thought Boy I could sell this ticket Or I could give it to my friend That hadn't been to a game all year And, and they're a friend And I thought about selling it But <laughs> I gave it away So I called up the friend I said hey you want to go to, the, go to the, that game and uh, they said, yeah. And so, stick with me here. There's a point to this story. Because the tickets were real, they were validated. They were assigned to my student ID. They had the codes on them, they had the, the legal stuff. It had a seat, it had everything, it had a barcode. Because the tickets were real and verified, they, they were righteous. They're good. I could give them away with confidence, knowing that whoever I gave them to wouldn't be embarrassed, wouldn't be left out in the cold, well, they'd still be in the cold, but left out of the gate. And because I loved my friend, and I knew, and they knew, our relationship was real, guess what? I could trust them to give them the ticket, and they could trust me. They could trust me. In fact, it, it was like, wow, Bob, thank you so much, and that's amazing, I love you, you know, and all that. And then, not only that, and this is the point, our relationship was real, the tickets were real. Now they had the confidence to go do what? Get ready for the game, get excited for the game. They could get up on Saturday morning and they could put that Ohio State jersey on and they could head to Columbus and they could put on the jacket and the coat and the gloves and the hat that they were gonna need as well, but they could walk all the way up to the, boot, the gate, scan it with confidence knowing they have two seats together and they were gonna watch the Ohio State Buckeyes beat Michigan. And they did that day But that's exactly the point of what paul's saying here Paul's pointing out to the thessalonian church and he's telling them that god's work was not only not in vain But that god's work in their life could be trusted You could have confidence in the results of the gospel this morning And he does that in three ways for the thessalonian church. He talks about their past Look again, just quickly, in chapter 1, one page over. He says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need to not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. When I came, you believed, you trusted in Christ in the past. He's calling them right now in the present. He's calling them in verse 11 and 12, if you look at chapter 2. He's saying, I love you. Walk worthy of the calling. Walk worthy of God. You know the gospel. You believe the gospel. Now live the gospel. Do it now. Hold to it. Stand firm. And he calls them in the present. And then finally, as spoiler alert, this is where we're going with the rest of 1 Thessalonians. He's going to talk about their future. He's going to talk about what's to come. He's going to point them to a secured future in Jesus Christ, who is the king, and he will usher in his kingdom. I love verse 12 here, where he actually uses the word call instead of called. Because if you think about Paul and you see that call word, it's usually always in the past tense. I have been called to be an apostle. You who were called, you were also predestined. You were, you know, it's it's secured, but this is different. And it gives me that excitement for what God's going to do. I hope it does that for you today. You see. In Christ's sacrifice on the cross offered to God the Father on our behalf is secured but it's still at work today it's still at work today and what the Holy Spirit's actually doing what I pray in this room what I hope and see he's doing in your lives and I've seen it when we've seen baptisms we see you faithfully living and what he's doing when I think about the fact that you know when we go and we die, if we have faith in Christ, we will be with him. It's it's pivotal for us to hear that today. Do you look at the results of God at work in your life? Have you reminded yourself of the joy of your salvation? Have you confessed your sin today? humbled yourself and asked God to allow you to walk worthy of him and are you looking for a greater reality than what you see right here are you hoping for heaven I've been thinking about that a lot lately I've been thinking about that as I attended my mom's funeral and it's just it's just such a good reminder it it changes our perspective take time to think about your security in the kingdom of Jesus Christ today. Well, as we close, I just have three application questions that I've been really pondering this week. Number one, what is the reason for and message of your life? Is your reason for living and the message to others to, uh, for others to see from your life about you? Is it about stuff or is it about something greater? Will your reason for living and the influence of your life die when you die? Just this past week I sat in an office at a cemetery and I was with my brother and sister and we were tasked with coming up with we is a small plaque that was going to be on top of my mother's grave and we were given four words to describe her life. That's daunting in a way and yet we, none of us really felt too much pressure none of us felt that oh no because my mom's soul is not sitting six feet under that plaque my mom's life and faith was in Jesus Christ and so she's with him and the message of her life lives on because Jesus is alive that's the hope that you have this morning if you know him that's the hope that I have may we walk with confidence and excitement and worthy of that this morning number two how does your reason and message for your life reflect your relationships how would others define their relationships with you do they sense that you love God and you actually love them Do your relationships in this room and beyond affect what you you don't do? Are you confessing your sin? Are you being humble? Are you working hard? Are you being generous? Are you lifting the word of God and the gospel to a place of its worth? Likewise, in that, do your relationships affect what you do? Do. Do you give yourself away to others? Do you sacrifice for the benefit of others? Do you serve them with the desire that your living and giving may allow them to not only trust you, which I hope does, but to trust Christ, which I hope is the most important thing in your life? Finally, do you share your soul? That's gritty. That's hard. That's open. That's vulnerable. There's no way to do that without them seeing I'm a sinner. Bob Lutz is a sinner. Everyone in this room is a sinner, but do you share that anyway, knowing that you're forgiven by a Savior? Finally, where do you look for the results in your life? I'm sorry, where do you look for the results of your life's value? Is your hope of success in yourself, your work, your family, your status, or do you rest in the work already completed on your behalf on the cross by a perfect Messiah? If you met Paul today, like he commended the Thessalonians in chapter one, would he commend you for the way you're living? Would he commend us for the way we're living? If you met God today, would he commend you? Are you walking in a manner worthy of God? Let each of us confess our sin. Remind ourselves that the goodness of the gospel is And ultimately, what's more real to you today? Is it what you see? Is it Boynton Beach? Is it Florida? The United States? Society? The media? Social media? Even good things like your family, your friends, your passion, or even this local church. Or are you hoping for, are you clinging to this fact? We're called and are being called to citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. To be with, now in spirit, and to ultimately be in person with the king, with Jesus. Let's hope for this, friends. Let's strive for this, even imperfectly. Even as we do it again next Sunday. Even as we live our lives this week. I learned something this week uh, about my mom four years ago. uh, She went through a very difficult time in discovering my dad's infidelity and, and they were divorced. And for the past four years, she had been memorizing a hymn and I never knew it because it was something she needed to cling to as she hoped for God. And I just want to end with that because I want us to cling to a gospel that is real that will then build relationships that are real, that will give us a hope for heaven, which is real. So let me read the last verse of this hymn, and then I'll pray. Whatever my God ordains is right, here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet I am not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me so I shall not fall. And so to him... I leave it all. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you that it's real. Thank you that we can be real because of that and that we have the hope of being fully real with Jesus. God, work in us today and help us. We ask in Christ's name, amen.